As I've come to remembrance, this is a tricky one for me. It's the last Sunday in the Fitzroy year, um, <clears throat> and the one that I've come to last to see how you have done this, and etc. So um, there's been a lot of different thoughts running around my head that we might share with you in these next moments, but what we definitely need, because they are my thoughts, is uh, some prayer. So let us pray again. Lord, I often pray that you would <clears throat> do something with the bare bones of my thoughts, but this morning, more than usual, I pray, Lord, that you would take uh, these wrestlings of mine as I've tried to look at Scripture and find in some art or some conversation um, a way forward with a day as poignant as today. So we pray that you take the skeleton of my thoughts and put upon them your flesh and the muscle of your spirit that they might come alive in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we were in Canada on sabbatical when it struck me the hardest. Um, it was Canada Day, and the Canadians are a very self-effacing, humble bunch of people. It's why I've got to say, Katrina, I prefer them. Um, we love Canada, and I think the Irish, being beside a major sort of, you know, kingdom, country, and knowing that we're superior but feeling inferior, can relate to the Canadians, I think. And they are very, very humble about their nationality. In fact, we drove to Seattle one day, and I said, it's a, quite a journey, I said to Caitlin and Jasmine to amuse them, really, let's count how many American flags we see when we cross the border. Within two miles, we'd lost count. We would have needed a calculator and indeed discovered there were more Canadian flags on the American side of the border than we'd seen in the whole of Canada. America do their flags, many and large. Canada, not so much. Oh, there's a couple of Canadians in the gallery. The Canadians, not so much. You might just, if you're looking carefully enough on the back of their backpack, just see that little Canadian flag that little maple leaf, they're proud of it, but they don't go shouting about it too much. So Canada Day was great because there was Canadian flags. In fact, we went to a family's home whose, uh, uh, her father had been uh, the minister in Kells before he'd gone to minister in Vancouver, and we'd gone to their home for Canada Day, and the cake was made in a Canadian flag. Strawberries, cream, you can do it in that kind of way. There was Canadian flags everywhere. And you could tell on that day, even though the only person in Regent College that had announced that it was Canada Day was a visiting American lecturer, you could tell that there was something that united these people. And I thought of home. And suddenly there was a real cutting deep in my heart because I realized that our flags are not about uniting. We mainly fly flags to divide. Wherever we put them up, we're kind of saying, this is our territory, not yours. And we are a people torn between two countries and no flag to fly. At least that's how I feel and how I've been brought up. And so Remembrance Day... Poppies are not something I would normally go out looking for, not because I don't want to remember the people's faces we've just seen and many others, 
But because, again, in the unique little trouble, huge trouble, that we live in, this is as divisive in our community as it is uniting. It's almost triumphalist. And so this week, there's been those mixed emotions. Now, I know it's because of the age I am, where I live, at what time in history and geography. But it's there. You kind of know that there's something about this that you're uneasy with and something about it that you want to be a part of. Remembrance Day is not the kind of day where you say many happy returns. It's not a celebratory anniversary like I'm hoping you might say to Janice and I haven't been here a year yesterday. It's not that kind of event or diary entry. And so this week I turned to a few places to try and find some wisdom and I looked in the scripture and I found Micah and then I looked in Bob Dylan and found Jesus. Interesting. Um, Masters of War seemed to be something that I thought, there's Bob Dylan, Masters of War, what does he say? And right in the heart of it, he goes to Luke chapter 9, where Jesus talks about how gaining the world and losing your soul is not the best idea, and how these men or all the others that have fought in war has been a result of a fallen human sinful nature that has wanted power, wealth, and land. And something has had to happen in the battle for that kind of inequality, whether good or bad. And I couldn't help but thinking, is at the time the Jewish Midwestern Dylan Wright, when he says, let me ask you one question, is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it should? I think you will find when your death takes its toll, all the money you made will never buy back your soul. Now, it's not necessarily about the wars we're remembering. But even then, it started with a greed for land and the need for defense. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very self? Human priorities, human ambitions, askew, amiss, not right, twisted and fallen, is why we're here today. This is not the way God intended, and it's not the way that it will be when the kingdom comes. A couple of years ago, I was trying to work out how to do this in chaplaincy, and about two months before, one of our students, Laura Hall, had said to me, my parents love this song that I sing to them, but I'm not sure about it. And I said, oh, what's the song? And she said, Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Alexander Burke hadn't been heard of at the time, and it was just a really good song then, not the commodity that it is now. And I said, that's an amazing song. There's so much of the Bible in there, and we will unpack this on our Leonard Cohen night in January for sure. But there were lines in it that really grabbed my attention as to exactly what today's about. And so I asked, Laura that year to sing it in our week in-house weekend which happened to fall on Remembrance Sunday and I've asked Jackie and Peter to sing it today because they sang it at our June uh, festival here in the church 
And let me tell you the lines I want you to hear as we think about this. Leonard Cohen, it's a psalm, I guess. He's writing a lot of religious stuff at this point in the mid-80s. A lot of his Jewish roots are coming through and very, psalms are very important to him, I think. And, um, and he writes um, in the words of this, and you've got to ask yourself, where is this line about remembrance? I, I don't know, but he says, I've seen your flags on the marble arch. Love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. And when asked about this song, because there's many questions, go with this song. He put it this way. Regardless of what the impossibility of a situation is, there is a moment when you open your arms and you embrace the thing and just say, hallelujah, blessed is the name. And you can't reconcile it any other way except in a position of total surrender and total affirmation. And so what he's saying in many of the issues that we go through, whether it's war, whether it's in family, whether it's in bereavement, whether it's in illness, whatever it's in, Cohen is saying that this is his song which basically says, in the midst of impossibility, at some point you just got to say, I can't do anything about this, so blessed be the name, hallelujah. Doesn't mean it's triumphalist, doesn't mean we have all the answers, doesn't mean we've sorted it out. All it means is that we give surrender and total affirmation to the God who transcends it and whom we can trust in. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
this room and I've walked this floor. No, I used to live alone before I knew you. And I've seen your flag on the marble arch, but love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. 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 Was a time when you'd let me know what's really going on below, but now you never show that to me, do you? But remember when I moved in you and the holy dove was moving too, and every breath we drew was hallelujah, 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 Maybe there is a God above, but all I ever learned from love was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. It's not a cry that you hear at night, it's not somebody who's seen the light, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
Do you remember when the sky exploded? Do you remember the sick stench of rubble and skin? Do you remember the children left waiting in nurseries? Do you remember the funerals without a coffin? Do you remember the lingering, fidgeting agitation? Do you remember the paralysis of nothing you can do? Do you remember Jesus saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Do you remember the heart of the nation crumble? Do you remember the rip in the lining of the soul? Do you remember the day fair could not be mended? Do you remember despair spiraling out of control? Do you remember the newsmen lost for words? Do you remember fiction blurring into what's true? Do you remember Jesus saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? And in vengeance's vicious circle, in the perpetual cycle of hate, someone has to stop this spinning wheel or everything is going to be too late. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That grace can blow holes in our waging of war so that peace can squeeze through. Do you remember nowhere left to run? Do you remember the long cast shadow of death? Do you remember the people falling, falling? Do you remember the fear of your very next breath? Do you remember the panic neath the dust of hell? Do you remember the heroes trying to make it through? Do you remember Jesus saying, do unto others? as you would have them do unto you. And in vengeance's vicious circle, in the perpetual cycle of hate, someone has to stop this spinning wheel or everything's going to be too late. Jesus said, do unto others, as you would have them do unto you. That grace can blow holes in our waging of war so that peace can squeeze through. It's a broken hallelujah. And yet as I've thought about this and I've, it's funny how you come into pastoral ministry and over a year people become incredibly precious to you. And you get emotionally attached to things and people that you never dreamed you ever would, at least at that speed. And this week I felt attached. They were our congregation. They were from here. They lived at 111 and were 77. And it would be ours, sitting around us now, who might be rushing off to war had we been in a different time. But our calling, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, is to bring peace. It's to be peacemakers. It's to bring this ridiculous idea of Jesus to turn other cheeks and do unto others as you'd have them do unto you into the world that we live in. This is what the Holy Spirit's impetus in our lives should be about. And so, in two Saturdays, we have a peace conference at Low Memorial. This is what we're about. See Sandra, sign up, go along, find out what our church what Christians are doing at this moment in time to make sure that we don't have more and more of such services as these or that we don't have more and more photographs of those lost to put up on screens. Let's become involved in it. The Clonard Fitzroy Fellowship. Let's make sure that it gains impetus and doesn't lose impetus because we're in so-called peacetime. 
And then as you go out tomorrow, as we've thought about and who we are, as particles of light out over the city, if you look at the things that might in our world prevent war, education, how many of you will shine lights across Belfast and beyond tomorrow? Health, how many of you will go out and shine lights? Fairness in business, how many will shine lights? Justice in the law courts, mediation, all kinds of situations where I reckon if I could sit with you for 10 minutes, I wish we had that many days in the week, I could find something that you're doing that could make the world a place less likely to go to war than it has been until now. It's our calling. Gordon and John Smith could easily be names in our congregation now. Make sure that we don't give in to it. Let us remember war in a way that means it won't happen again. Jesus came to kill the killing. Jesus came to bring shalom. Jesus came to start bringing in our lifetime his kingdom, and his will on earth as it is in heaven. And it would be very easy on a day like this when we remember those ages going up on a screen to say, where's God in that? The poem about 9-11, many said, where was God in that? Through the troubles, many could say, where was God in that? And yet as we remember them, do you remember what Jesus said that we should remember? the old play I used to do in university. Well, let me set it in its biblical context. The God that we believe in and worship today, as we've been singing in the praise, the one we give our affirming and our surrendering hallelujahs to when there's nothing else we can do, is a God who doesn't live out there in space somewhere and doesn't understand Because right there in Hebrews, it reminds us, doesn't it? He can sympathize with our weaknesses because he has been human in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So because of what he's done, we can boldly, in the midst of remembering our dead, come into the most holy place and find grace to help us in our time of need. The play I used to do at university, and I don't know whether it fits. Part of me thinks it doesn't, part of me thinks it does. But we used to do this thing called the long silence, where we had all these people out on the sort of the plains and judgment saying, what does God know about what we've experienced? And someone from a Nazi concentration camp would come forward and say, yes, what does God know about what we had to endure? Or somebody from the war fields who died a horrific death said, yeah, what does God know about the front line? What does God know about 9-11? What does God know what it's like to be black living in the southern states of America in the 50s or the 40s or the 60s or even maybe now? What does God know? And so they decided they would put together a sentence for God so that God could do or feel what they'd felt. So they said, let him be born a Jew. Yes. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Yes. Giving him a possible job to do that nobody will ever believe that's possible. Yes. Cause him to be betrayed by one of his best friends. Yes. 
Let his other friends betray him. Yes. Then bring him before a false judge and false charges put him uh, in a sentence of death. Yes. Then let's torture him and let's send him out and let's hang him on a cross and let him die the most lonely death that's imaginable. Yes. And when they presented their judgment, there was a long silence because suddenly everyone realized that God had already lived his sentence. And so because of his birth, his life, his death and resurrection, we can come into the most holy place and find grace to help us when all that's left is a cold and a broken. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, it's a cocktail of emotions on Remembrance Day. And there's many things that it draws us back to. Everyday discipleship. Don't live to gain the world and lose your soul. To the things that we do in our world to bring a fair world that might prevent war. To remembering that you came and lived every experience that we might experience so that we could come into the most holy place with boldness and with confidence, even when our faith is crumbling and we need to just bless the name and say hallelujah. We pray, Lord, you would take us into our week remembering the carnage and brutality, violence, and futile loss of war. And by your spirit, give us an impetus to continue to be these peacemakers that we have been in this congregation. And find that part of our lives that we haven't even realized to now builds up a kingdom that could perhaps squeeze out war. Help us to live for you and a kingdom without war. In Christ's name. Amen.